0: My guest today is Mike Lander. Mike is an entrepreneur who has successfully bought, grown, and sold multiple businesses in sectors like digital marketing, recruitment, education, and more. Currently, Mike is the CEO of Piscari Limited and chairman of a digital agency, Resignal. Thanks for being on the show today, Mike. Yeah, pleasure, Joe. Very good to see you. I'm so excited to hear a little bit about your journey because... Uh, you know, re-signal. No. I was able to speak to the owner, I, and yes. uh, Mike Gibbons, and he was a great guy. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more yourself because he spoke highly of you. That's no, so, great. That's great, kind of uh, Can you uh, just give you uh, all the audience members a little bit uh, more insight about your journey, about who you are, what you do, and a little bit of backstory about like a little bio? Yeah, yeah. So should I give you the kind of like the, the bit of the backstory first?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and then kind of get to where I am. Um, we can talk about what, kind of what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, So, um, yeah,
1: if you go back in time, uh, I was uh, adopted as a, as a baby. Oh, uh, wow. Adopted by a loving family, which was great. Um, but the family I was adopted by, uh, we weren't um, professionals, as we call them now. They didn't have degrees. Uh, they were clerks in companies. Um, and why I mentioned that is, when I was 16, I was very shy, you know, very retiring, you know, didn't really, wasn't very sociable. And when I looked at doing a job, what i do at 16, um, we didn't have people that were doctors or lawyers or accountants or entrepreneurs. We had people that were scrap merchants and people that ran garages and people that, you know, were just hardworking uh, people um, that uh, just worked their way up. Um, so it was very hard for me at 16 to work out well, what I want to do with my life. And so, I actually left school at 16. I didn't do qualifications at 16. I went off and I worked. And something happened when I started work and then I'll kind of roll forward to where I am a little bit. I was applying for jobs uh, in the UK and uh, I was applying for engineering jobs. And I applied for dozens of jobs and got none. And I went to one interview and the guy said, you're not very clever, you're not very capable. We might get you sweeping the floor, but we're not even sure there's, there's room for you doing that. And as a 16-year-old, that kind of shapes you. It shapes your mind. And you either accept it and go, that's all I'm worth, or you do something about it. And I kind of chose to do something about it. And if you look at that 16-year-old insecure person, and then you look at kind of where I am now, 56, that 40-year journey, some things have happened, which we can explore on this kind of conversation, which completely changed my um, life outcomes. You know, I built and sold a company for a very large seven figure sum. Uh, I built a special needs school from scratch, from nothing uh, into 50 pupils, 120 staff. I borrowed 7 million pound of debt from uh, some big banks in the UK. Um, I've done all sorts. And when you look at that 16 year old boy, you wouldn't believe that that 56 year old person could have done that. And I think as a theme, that's really important. Where you are does not define
0: where you will end up. That's amazing. So obviously over the course of the years, um, fear brought a big component of where you didn't wanna become, right? So how did you overcome that? Like throughout the years of maybe rejection or people saying no and, you know, surrounding yourself with people that were maybe supportive uh, yeah. along the way, like what triggered you to do these ultra successful things that uh, along the way? So, in, so I was trained in selling for a number of years,
1: uh, old school selling, which was, we were taught in fear, uncertainty and doubt. And there's a reason that old school selling used to work that way was because human beings, you asked about my story, we have fears, we are uncertain, we're doubtful of what the future could be. And so, if I look at what changed that future, I think part of it is personal resilience. You know, no matter what happens, if you don't have that gene, which is perseverance, and you're gonna keep getting up. I'm not saying keep doing the same thing every day for the rest of your life. But what I'm saying is, you need to give things a fair, Crack of the kind of like of the, you know, of the process to see is it going to work? You have to know when to kind of stop, but you do need to keep persevering. You can't get knocked over once and think, oh, well, that didn't work. And again, you know, I could have just gone, oh, well, I'm not fit for a job. I'll just go off and, you know, draw the doll in the UK, draw, draw social benefit. I didn't do that. I got knocked down and I got up. And I've got that knocked down hundreds of times in my life, hundreds. My father, um, yeah. although not a well-educated man, his perseverance and his will and determination is remarkable. And I suspect I get quite a lot of it from him. You keep going, you keep getting up, you keep going to work, you keep earning a living and you support your family. So that's a kind of like a, a, a thing that's deep inside me. So that's kind of one. The second thing is I've been lucky to meet people that Are they mentors? Yeah, maybe, yeah, certainly. They're certainly challengers. I think if we can meet people in life who can challenge our thinking without challenging us as human beings, they're great people to meet because they inspire you, they make you think hard, they make you question your assumptions. And I've had probably three or four of those in my life that are just good, kind people but they challenge your basic assumptions about how you see the world. And that makes a huge difference. The ability to accept an alternative view and think it through, I think is a a massively important human trait. Look at the world today. You know, people are too quick to um, accept perceived wisdom or received wisdom, and they just buy into what someone says. Well, that gets you nowhere apart from being a, a long-term follower. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to... Um, I was talking to Kevin about this the other day, actually, uh, Kevin from, uh, uh, from Resignal. And I recommended a book to him, uh, which was called The Innovator's Dilemma by a guy called um, Clayton Christensen from Harvard. And he wrote this probably 20 years ago. And the reason I mention it is His theory was, and it was proven through empirical evidence, the best innovations are not lightning strikes. They're not out of the blue, really wild ideas. They're an aggregation of lots of other proven things, reformatted in a new way that suddenly make things different. And if you look at the way that I've developed as a human being, I tend to like take lots of input, I'll read lots of things. I think we've talked about that, John. I'm a re- well, you can see, I'm a reader as well. I like reading books um, and so I'm a reader, I'll read blogs, I'll read books, I'll talk to lots of entrepreneurs and then I'll aggregate that content together and I'll work out what my point of view is. And they normally produce more breakthrough moments. So for example, one of the companies that really accelerated my, my kind of personal career, I bought a company back in 2006 And I did it because I realised something pretty simple, which was I could start companies from scratch. I'd started a few of my own companies with just me. Really, as you know, John, really hard to get off the ground. You know, um, a lot of perseverance required. uh, uh, Good opportunities need to, to turn up. Talented people need to be around you. All sorts of things can happen. Well, if I could shortcut that by buying a good company and making it great, then I'd have like leapfrog that early stage. And I happened to find a company that would already had, it had about 50 people working for it, was successful, had just won a big contract. And the two guys that ran it wanted to uh, retire and move on with their life. And I saw that was a huge opportunity. And I you know, raised the money, made the investment and doubled its size as a company because I had the hunger and the passion to do that. And that, that cut out an entire phase of my life of trying to find a company as a solopreneur that you can try and scale. Very hard to scale a business if you've never scaled one before. Really hard. If you're a company of one and you've never done this before, your
0: chances of success are pretty slim. That's amazing. I mean, I, I love hearing the thought behind, and I guess you know what reality is is not books you read and what you watch and listen to, right? Living it with real life experience, going through the nitty gritty grind of um, not just working for someone else, but starting a sopreneur or right. a entrepreneur and growing and scaling a business like without that experience, I mean, I would take experience over someone that is a Harvard graduate and with a PhD or MBA or whatever. Absolutely. Right? Someone that's Anything. gone through it uh, with the years of experience. That's what life is about, right? Um, Every day. Absolutely. Definitely, John. And I think it's really interesting. Look at what the big tech companies are doing
1: now. They're starting to say, uh, I'm not advocating people don't get qualifications because I think qualifications have their place, but they're saying, we care less about what degree you've got. We care much more about your attitude and your aptitude. Yep. And they'll test for that. And they're big companies. They're smart. They'll build their own assessment centers and training programs that, you know, if you're the right fit, you'll do really well.
0: Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Like the the personality, the values, the, the yeah. aptitude of the person, right? Perseverance and other motivational uh, factors, because that's what we hire upon uh, here at Local SEO Search, too. Like, we we really focus on that individual as exactly. opposed to the skill set they have possessed. Because you can train someone um, if you already have a system and process in place. But if you don't have the good, right mindset and a person, uh, whatever position you have for them, they're never going to be successful and uh, do well. So
1: Big lesson in life for me, you know, you hire
0: for attitude, you train for skill. Exactly, exactly. So uh, growing up, I know back in when you were 16, um, how, like, did you have many jobs over the years? Like, what kind of positions did you hold um, before you kind of started your own kind of business?
1: Yes, absolutely kind of interesting to reflect back on my life. Um, it, it kind of went in phases. I was pretty stable in jobs. So I left school at 16, uh, did a job class 21 as an engineer, so I was an apprentice. we have these apprenticeships in the UK, you can leave school and at 16 get an apprenticeship. And do, you, you do like a day a week at college and yep, four yep. days a week in work. Yep. So it's on, kind of on the job training. But I loved cool. that, really enjoyed it. Then at 21 went to university, uh, did three years at university called Sheffield in the UK in engineering. Yep. So that's 24 and then 24 to 29 engineering company, five more years. And then at 29 did an MBA. Um, So left my company and self-financed an MBA at uh, 30 and then went into banking. So I went from kind of technology uh, project management into banking, marketing, complete career change. One thing that's interesting John uh, and again your listeners might kind of this might resonate with a few is and you may have been through this yourself if you look at that kind of 16 to kind of 31 year old phase of my life in that time a number of people when I made those big changes like doing my degree so left work did the degree left work did my MBA a number of friends um, said you're crazy you're mad why would you give up a good job? You've got a career, you know, you could go on holiday with your savings or buy a car. What are you doing? And you have to listen to those people because they're your friends, but you mustn't just accept what they say. You have to have, I think, two things. One, other people around you with different views. So balance the seesaw. And second, and I don't know how I've got this, but I seem to have it. In my core, I know that's the right thing to do. Really hard to understand how, but I knew leaving work and doing a degree the first time was the right thing to do, because in, back in the day, engineers then, you couldn't become a, um, a senior engineer or the head of R&D if you didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. So I knew, If I want to progress in engineering, I need a degree. So I did it. I then got to like 29 and I wanted to run a business. Well, I knew, I knew nothing about finance. I knew nothing about strategy. I knew nothing about marketing, except what I'd read in books. (laughs) And to your point, John. That doesn't make me an expert of any kind. And so I went, "Mm, okay, I'll do an MBA and I'll meet loads of people that have done these jobs. And I'll learn from them and they'll learn from me. And I'll also put in place some foundation blocks of basic, I mean, finance, John, you would be astounded at how many entrepreneurs don't understand basic finance. I can, I can have a meeting with most finance directors of big companies and have a, a good conversation. You know, I'm not gonna get into the details of how tax works internationally, but I can talk about the p and balance sheet and cash flow And the implications of a recession on what happens to your cash reserves and your kind of working capital stretch. So if anyone out there is thinking, well, what are the core skills I need to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Leadership, sales, strategy. Absolutely. If you don't get finance, you'll go bust.
0: Yeah. No, that's amazing. And I love the fact that you're mentioning like planning uh, because, and gut check, right? I always did uh, pros and cons, strengths, weakness analysis, every career shift that I did. And of course, surround yourself with people that you actually trust, yeah. not just your friends, family, peers, to give them an honest opinion on what your landscape and, you know, projections are like what your main plan is after exactly. three, five, 10 years. Um, and then figure out, like, I know how much, employers want you to stay loyal to them but you also have to figure out like is this a right career move for yourself to stay put what yeah. kind of career advancements do you need within that organization to get to where you want to financially or just your aspiration right yep. so de- definitely very similar journey in similar to myself like every way was really to advance myself because look if you don't take care of yourself who's going to take care of you right exactly uh, right and you can't expect people, again, I think another big lesson in life, John, is
1: people that expect others to take care of them as young people. You know, you, I've heard it. It's all right for you. You know, you were lucky. Yeah, you know, it's not fair. I didn't get any lucky breaks. And I'm like, you know, luck to me is a very particular kind of definition. You know, luck is, yeah, I, I, am, I am lucky. And luck is, I show up every day I work long hours. I have lots of connections. My network is really, really, really good, really strong. And um, when an opportunity comes up, because I've been persevering, and I've been chiseling away at trying to find opportunities, I focus on shaping those opportunities into real pieces of business that are great testimonials of the work I do, and that then will allow me to sell
0: more work. So yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah, and people don't see it that way, right? They only look at you at that pinnacle of now you're an entrepreneur or you're a business owner, but they don't see that 10, 20, 30 years of struggle to get to where you are. And this is exactly what every entrepreneur wants, right? They want to be at that pinnacle, but how many actually get there, right? No one talks about all the failures or all the people that don't make it. Yeah, and why? You know, and, and people that give up, And I know it's it's easy.
1: That's the beginning, you know. I'm I'm no advocate of just saying you just carry on in adding an item with some passion project that you've got, because eventually, if the market keeps telling you it's not working after you've been adapting, you do need to kind of like adapt uh, further and maybe pivot. Um, But you've got to keep going. You've you've got to keep on getting up, dusting yourself off, and learning the lessons, John. I mean, wow, there was. It was a very famous um, moment in my life, famous to me. You know, we have things in our minds that stick out and they never go away and it will never leave me. Um, And I can remember where I was (laughs) in in the room I was in when this happened. And that 7 million pound of debt that I borrowed, I paid it off in tranches, raised it in tranches. But at one point I got into trouble and I thought I was a genius, master of the universe, I'd raised this money, it had all gone really well. I'd made loads of money, it was brilliant. And I raised some more money and invested it in something else, and it went horribly wrong. And I found that out because the bank said, in no uncertain terms, if you don't fix this problem in the next, kind of like, I think I had about 20, about 30 or 60 days to fix it. It's like we will take the keys off you because yeah. we have the power and the authority and the legal right to seize your business if you don't do what we need because you'll have breached all your covenants several times. And at that point, you'll be in a fire sale because we want to recover our debt for 50p in the pound and you'll get nothing. And in that moment, when someone tells you that you could go from having this, you know, quite impressive business to zero, it it does something to you. Now, I came out to the side of that, and I paid back all the bank debt in full. I paid out the swap product that I had, which was a uh, hedging instrument. I paid out all my unsecured creditors, and I generated cash for myself and our family. Now that, that did nearly kill me, but yeah, hence I'm great.
0: <laughs> um, but it certainly formed me as a character. Oh yeah. I mean, these are things that you have to live and breathe and learn. Right. And this is other people's money you're dealing with. Right. Correct. And if it's your own, you can live and sleep and be okay with it. But when it's other people's money, especially banks money or other, you know, and this is where I see like venture capitalists, angel investing and all the other, you know, people want to raise money to fast track and expedite the, the business. Right. And, As a small, medium sized business owner, everyone wants to get to that eight, nine digit business, but really is it for you? You have to slow down and figure out like what's in it for you and what is that person going to look like when they start earning that much, if they even do so, right? Like it's not for everyone. And what if, and why do you want it in the first place? Right. Um, so, Again, I always self-reflect, I always look back at like ultra successful and what does success mean to people and myself, like slow and steady always wins the race and I'm okay with that. And it's more about like enjoying the entire process, right? Enjoying the whole momentum of doing everything your way without, um, you know, making mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes, right? And slow and steady always wins the race, so.
1: I mean, interesting, John, you know, I think, my view of my world now is, is is that is slow and steady wins the race. If you go back to when I bought that company back in two thousand and six, you know what was interesting was I kind of I didn't do that. I raised all this money and I yeah. bought this company. And you know, if someone said to me, "Would you do it again now?" No, no, I wouldn't. You know, taking on bank debt or taking on VC money until you've done it and you've experienced it, it comes with some pretty unpleasant, difficult, challenging, uh, stakeholders around you because before it was your business, you know, and you kind of like, you, you, you do what you want with your business. You take care of it and you look after it and you nurture and you grow. Um, when you've got a bank breathing down your neck or a VC, it's not just their money. It's, it's their customer's money
0: Yeah,
1: because the bank's got customers behind them that put money into the bank that they then use to lend out to make money. To, and it's, it's a circle. Well, they're not going to take kindly to you saying, Oh, it's not worked out. Never mind." Yeah. You know, that's why they have covenant checks in every quarter. You must report yep. on your banking covenants. If you start breaching your covenants, they're going to get pretty heavy handed yep. and not unreasonably because you're risking their money. Yep. And I think, yeah you know, that, that slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. You know, in my current company, Piscari, we are, we're debt free. It's self-financed. Um, I have no employees. I work with a virtual team. Um, I love doing what I do. Uh, it's growing slowly, slowly, slowly. I'm building a position as a thought leader in my area. Slowly, slowly,
0: slowly. It'll take time. I have no intention of taking on bank debt. I have no exactly. intention of taking on VC money. Exactly. And, and this is the thing. People don't understand stress when yeah. you, you have other people's money in play. Right. And I know a ton of SaaS company business owners that raise a ton of money, VC money. They don't sleep at night. Their relationships, their family don't even see them. You ruin your other pillars that are very important to you. And why, why did you put yourself in that situation in the first place to get this, you know, to grow and scale and grow, you know, sell your business, maybe hopefully at 10 X or whatever. Yeah. Is it worth it in the end? Because it's going to eat up your life for sure. years, not just days and weeks. It's like sleepless yeah. nights nice and stressed like you would never believe, right? So Absolutely. I totally get where you're coming from. And you might get fired. I mean, VCs, yeah. if you don't perform yeah. and they don't
1: believe you can make the journey, yeah. if you look at, just do the research online, you know, if, you, if your audience just looks at the, the, the number of um, founders that get fired from their own companies, and become strategic advisors, or become you know, consultants, and then just disappear. Yeah. It, it's a huge percentage. Yeah. Because I'm also, I mean, back in the day, there was a guy called, um, I think, Ken Blanchard. He wrote a book called Situational Leadership. And it's probably still true today, which is, people, uh, people are often suited to a certain type of um, part of the journey of an entrepreneurial company. I I only know one founder that got through from, she started it at her desk, and it became a billion dollar company. And that's just recently happened. And she stayed all the way through the journey. She's the only one I know. Most people are good for a certain situation. The naught to half a million, the half million to two million, the two to 10, the 10 to 50. Different people are good at different stages of that journey. And I think you have
0: to get to know yourself about what part of the journey do you love? What are you good at? Exactly, exactly. And, and really, like, what are your main goals, right? Like, are yeah. you planning on exiting? Are you enjoying the whole process? If so, exactly. stay in it. But if you start hating and dreading going into work every day, like, why even continue, right? Exactly right. Why continue? I mean, you know, you're, you're,
1: <laughs> you're a long time dead. Why would you continue beating yourself up? I mean, I was ex, I think I might have told you, John, I was ex KPMG. So I uh, I was a consultant at KPMG for many years. Brilliant training, amazing firm. Uh, I'm still an advocate of the work they do now. I think it's an amazing brand. Uh, I'm really brilliant training, uh, talented partners. But if you want to be a partner in a big five, you know, multidisciplinary uh, professional services firm, you know, you've got to know what you're letting yourself in for. I mean, I left the firm one below partner. So I was told I, you know, I could be on the partner track, whether I was or I wasn't, I don't know, but I could have been. And I said, no, I'm resigning. And they were quite shocked. And they said, why? And I said, it, it's just not for me. Yeah. This partner life, because they work and they genuinely do work 14 hour days, six days a week. They don't see their families. They're on a plane all around the world, normally under normal times. Um, you're at the beck and call of the firm. I mean, same thing. Working for Goldman Sachs or one of the big investment banks, you know, your life isn't your own, but you get paid three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. Back to your point, John. What's your goal in life?
0: Exactly. So one of the things I always look at, growing up or working at all these other companies, is look at your managers or directors or your your superior supervisors, and really get to know them and get to know their structure, their day and their whole uh, surrounding. And if they're respected and how is their balance in life and understanding, is that a position you want to eventually become or get into because it fits your mode, right? Um, And that's so critical. And a lot of people don't look at it that way. They only look at The dollar figure. Oh, I want a twenty thousand dollar raise or fifty thousand dollar raise. It would be nice to be a manager, director, VP, CEO, whatever. And they only care about the dollar figure, but they don't look at what is comes with it. What's (laughs) the baggage behind it? And if you look at, you know, and I know a lot of like professional, you know, doctors and lawyers and dentists and all these professions. Yes, you go to school and you train, train for years, years, years. But when you come out do they actually enjoy what they do? And then, yes, as much as the money is, it's like, do they even care about the, the the work they perform or is it the money that they're really after? Because all those years of training, I mean, you're equipped with knowledge and insight, but you're not really a business owner, right? So you don't really understand the whole uh-huh. dynamics of running a business. And so it's like, I look at people that I've grown up with, I surround myself with, and I've been able to work with, hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs and I'm always probing them to find out how is their happiness level What success mean to them. Right. And just judge them by like, is that someone I would like to be similar to? Right. And if I do, I want to mimic them. I want to ask them the right kind of questions to see how they got to where they got and, you know, become friends with them. Right.
1: I mean, look at John, you know, kind of my day now, um, okay, we're going through uh, coronavirus, it's an unusual time, uh, horrific time, but um, which has changed our working patterns. But before this happened, you know, I, I work from home. So I get to see my son who's seven and a half, go to school in the morning. I get to take him to school some days. I get to pick him up some days. So normally in a week, you know, if there's like 10 journeys, five drop-offs, five pickups, I'll do probably between four and six. And I get to play with him and we get to do fun things. And if I need to take a day off to go and see him at sports day, I can. It, it, that, that's what ultimately, when I'm gone and he's still alive, he's going to reflect on his father and his mother and go, what were they like as people? Did I have a relationship with them?
0: Exactly. You know,
1: were they nurturing? Because whatever affects them will affect their children. You've got this kind of, responsibility in in life to other human beings because how we behave impacts them and that will impact their children and so it goes on
0: and i i think before i was a parent like yourself it was all about you know career and life you know business and trying to earn and whatever success right but then things change when you become a dad right or a mother and your whole life perspective is you know, I want to be present. I want to spend more time with the people that you love the most and cherish moments, right? Micro moments. And, you know, these small little things about having fun and play and enjoying being present is so critical in one's life, especially now, both of us are, we have young kids, right? And it's like, I love the moment of tapping out, turning off my phone and computer and just being present with my son. Right. And just playing with him. And I look forward to this stuff, right? Like you just have to have a balance and it's, it's different for everyone. I get it. Right. And people might love their job more than spending time with kids. It's their life that they're living. Right. And that's totally okay with it. But these are things that you have to understand about yourself. And why you're doing certain things. And if you're an entrepreneur, like enjoy it. Enjoy the process, right? Like don't focus on all the negatives. Like focus on how you can progress and learn and make mistakes and be curious and you know be inspired by people that you look up to, right? Like these are moments that you need to understand about business, right? Not everyone's gonna be successful and it's okay. Maybe your first foray of a business journey is not going to be successful in whatever yes. success means, right? Like, does that mean you give up every time you, um, you know, fail? Like, you know, you get up and try to do it all over again with the knowledge and insight that you've learned from the first failure, right? Exactly. Exactly. When I, mean, I think I, I think I've started about,
1: I think I counted about twelve businesses in the last, kind of like you know, thirty years, wow. and of which. One, one was, well, two were, you know, if success is scale and number of people and revenue and profit, then if that's the yardstick, they were successful companies. But the rest were like kind of, you know, they didn't get up the ground or they didn't make any money or there wasn't a market for them or a bunch of things. But you keep going, as you say. One thing I want to just kind of touch on and get your view on as well, John, is um, curiosity. I'm always saying to my son, um, be curious, ask questions, you know, think it through, work out why something's happening, just be curious. And I think that's taken me quite a long way in life, a curious mind.
0: What's your experience of that? Oh, my son asks me 20,000 questions a day and it's great, right? Because I understand that he's always wanting to learn, right? Like he's, he's the type that is learning as much as he can. And the more information I equip him with and insight and knowledge, um, it's going to bode him well in the future, right? Like he's going to adapt and learn and make his own mistakes, but at least he's curious. And I always tell him like, ask questions. I tell everyone on my team, actually, like be curious, ask questions. If you don't know, ask. And it's great that you're trying to do it yourself, but it'll save you time, right? Someone has already endured that same problem. Let's see if we can all help each other out. Right. So that's like team building. Um, so in terms of advice, I know that you, we talked a lot about like your journey and whatnot. Um, can you think of some of the setbacks that you had to overcome some of the major issues and problems that I know there were that, uh, losing money and that venture that you were talking about, but that's a huge stress component, but what kind of advice can you give some entrepreneurs in terms of their journey so that they become successful? I mean, I think, so I, I've got one in my
1: mind, uh, around imposter syndrome which is often talked about and like written about. But again, unless you've experienced it, then it doesn't mean anything. Um, when I bought that company back in 2006, I was a consultant working for that company for about five years. So the 50 odd consultants we had were all peers, friends, yeah. peers, people I worked yeah. with. Well, the next day I turned around and I owned the company and they were like, but you, you, you can't, own that. You, you're one of us. So all of a sudden you go from being one of the team to now being the chief exec. So the conversations you have are very different. The way that you lead the organization has to be very different. The consequences for people not doing what's required are different and you're accountable for ensuring that, you know, there are consequences. If clients don't get what they need, that they paid for to get the outcomes they expect, Then something has to happen. People work longer hours or something happens. All of a sudden, it's you. No one else, it's you. And that's a big part of the imposter syndrome is you get put in this position, either self-appointed or appointed. And now you go from being a peer to being the leader. And that transition, I think if if I could probably ask for anything back in time, you know, what, what do I wish for? I wish I had a mentor at that point when I did that, mm. but, that was kind of on my side. I had a couple of people, but they, they weren't really you know, driving my agenda. Um, mm. I think if you can find a mentor to help you through that, that genuinely wants you to succeed,
0: yeah. and it
1: has to be a mentor, not a coach. And I, in my mind, I've got a very clear distinction. A, a coach tends to ask questions and has a process. And the idea is it gets you to find out what the answers are through a a dialogue. Whereas a mentor has been there, done that, different companies, different size, different ways, but they've got the experience and they are giving you access to that enormous experience to allow you to shortcut or stop treading on landmines and that 's really critical when you face that quite big step
0: oh that 's amazing I, I think I think the the challenge between peers and people that you know equipping them with um, the hindsight of adapting and understanding like communication is key right and letting them in on like what if one day I'm your manager? How would you feel, right? Like understanding that because you don't know what the reaction would have been if you kind of informed them earlier and understood how they would react so that you have a plan of action moving forward, right? Exactly. Because without that, like, then they're gonna start talking to you differently. They're reacting yeah. to you completely different when they see you, they're all afraid. There's all these other perceptions because working at a big company, I saw it firsthand, right? Like yes. when you're you know, someone that's doing all the work versus a manager or supervisor, VP or director, like different tiers, different levels, there's a barrier behind everyone. And yes. people are afraid, right? Although there shouldn't be, but that's how perception is. And that's how you've been trained from everyone else right because all your peers talk amongst each other like friends right that's right but then when you become a manager there's that barrier there's that should i even tell them and then now you're a ceo well i'm not telling them anything i'm yes. just doing my work right <laughs> so this is a great point about not telling them anything so this was another big
1: lesson learned uh, for me um and i think so. there's, there's, there's two little stories i guess um, when I first became the chief exec and I owned the company and ran it, um, I was quite transparent with all sorts of things to all sorts of people. I quickly realized that's a big mistake.
0: Yeah. You
1: mustn't be completely transparent with everyone about everything that's in your mind. Yeah. Wearing your heart on your sleeve as chief exec tends to not go that well on the whole. Um, but the second thing I learned was there are times when you must be transparent. You absolutely have to tell people what's going on. When I restructured the company, I was really clear with everyone. It's like, we are in trouble. We have breached our covenants. We are going to restructure. There will be redundancies at some scale. We will get through this, and we will make sure that the bank is paid off in full, but it will be very painful. And they have to hear that quite a few times. And then when you do have to make people redundant, which is horrific, but you do, When they come back to you and say, but but it'll all be okay, won't it? It'll be fine. Can't I keep working here? I'll change roles. You have to keep saying, remember what I said. We're in deep trouble. We have to take action now. Entrepreneurs, often I think, again, we shouldn't make generic statements about entrepreneurs in general, but there are traits I see. People fail to act quickly enough. So when things start to look bad, A lot of entrepreneurs, if they lack experience, fail to put in place plans quickly, which would be risk risk management plans that allow you to manage and mitigate that risk as it starts to transpire. Uh, Because they say, it's okay, I'm an entrepreneur, we'll grow our way out of this. Yeah, you might do sometimes, but most of the time that's not the root cause. You know, what drives me mad often is, because I'm an advisor to quite a lot of companies, is, when action is taken, but when you look at it, the root causes have not been understood. Mm. Now, I'm an engineer by training. So I was taught the, um, the Ishikawa diagram, the fishbone diagram, as it was called, which is root, yeah, root cause, uh, uh, cause and effect diagram. You work back from a symptom back to the root cause. And the root cause is normally three to five steps away from where you think it is. And if that thinking's not been done, the wrong action will be taken because people are too quick to act. You have to Mm. think it through, work it back, then build your plan and then act.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I I love your thought process behind it, especially you've endured challenges over the years, right? So that experience is priceless, right? (laughs) Um, So in terms of like running your business today, um, I know you kind of stopped doing the larger kind of companies and Uh, and then you pivoted to kind of build your own brand, your own company. Um, How has it been going? Why are you doing it? And um, what has changed over the years? Like why, what is motivating you today versus five, 10 years ago? So I, it's a great question, John. Um, I think a number of things, uh, uh, there's a number of
1: reasons kind of why I do what I do now. Um, But one of the kind of, one, there's a, there's a life stage thing. I'm 56. Um, I think I've probably got hopefully between 10 and 20 years of people wanting my advice and then maybe they'll, you know, I'll fade into the distance. Um, but I enjoy working. I enjoy business. So I, I want to still be in business. Um, uh, wanted to obviously have a, have a business life that fits in with my family life. So again, another important criteria when I worked out what I was going to do, important criteria. And, um, the other thing is, I've been quite passionate, in fact, really passionate about negotiation skills for probably 20 years now. Um, I love the art of negotiation, the science of negotiation, the theater of negotiation, I I really enjoy it. And I wanted to build something that had that as a kind of component. And the second thing is something that uh, my wife kind of uh, brought to my attention. Um, I've been a procurement director as a managed service. So we, we ran procurement as a service. So I was called a procurement director. So I have bought probably about four to $500 million worth of goods and services for clients uh, over the years and negotiated hundreds of deals. And I've done it on the buy side. because I've been a buyer, I've been a procurement director. And, and Vicky said, you know, all the suppliers out there, the small companies, if they had your insights into how you buy, they'd probably be better companies, they'd grow more, they'd be more profitable, and negotiations would be more balanced. Why don't you advise them? And so I pulled together all of that buying knowledge as a procurement person, how does procurement work, with all of that negotiation knowledge, how do you negotiate great deals? And I focused it on a couple of sectors, marketing services and recruitment. And in that kind of overlapping circles, negotiation, procurement, marketing uh, or a recruitment, in that kind of Venn diagram, that's where I focus, because that's what I love. Because I fundamentally believe that one of the problems with negotiation skills training is, there's no context around it. I've been on some of the best courses in the world, like really brilliant courses, and they are foundation skills which are important. But as you know, John, when you negotiate with your clients, you're negotiating the context of selling your company's services. Well, every scenario is different. So, what you need is negotiation skills that are packaged in a way that your industry. So, for example, in marketing services, a big problem is um, you sign a contract with a client, and it's a 12-month contract, and get to the end of the 12-month contract, and what you really want, John, is you want that to be renewed for 12 months. Well, I'm in procurement, and I go, well, that's interesting john but actually i think we're going to monthly at this stage so we'll just keep going every month so monthly renewal i can terminate at will on a month so now you're sat there going no I, I need to deploy resources to deliver these services over a long period of time i need some certainty and i'm going yeah i know you do john but you know times are hard i need flexibility so um yeah i think if you can keep going monthly that'd be great and then before i go i go there's just one more thing john I need it at 10% less than we had it on your 12-month contract. I'll leave that with you. And so all of that, you need someone around you that can go, okay, name the game, what's going on? And what can you do to try and convince them, get them to agree, entice them to a longer-term contract? How do you construct a negotiation scenario? And that's the kind of stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning that I enjoy doing. Because it's... Interesting.
0: Yeah. And every individual, every supplier, every vendor, every company is different. Right. And, and they have their own different scenario, different, yeah. you know, everyone's cost saving. Everyone's looking for bottom line. Um, and you as a vendor, you're always looking to grow your business, right. Yeah. Increase revenue, sales, profitability. So yeah. it's always, you know, a battle. Um, every con contact you have with a prospect to every client meeting a renewal contract. It's, it's fun. Um, but it's a battle. it is a battle, but I've seen it all. I, I love that process. Yeah. Uh, but it's also draining as well, right? Like it, is. it comes, it, it's not for everyone. Like, um, you have Again, to be equipped, an entrepreneur, you
1: know, back to what you said, John, being an entrepreneur is not for everyone because you, you as the owner of the business, you'll probably deal with most of those negotiations. And if you don't enjoy that and you don't oh, yeah. enjoy the, it is part of the, it's a bit of a battle. It's a it's a game that you're playing out. If you don't enjoy that, then don't be an entrepreneur
0: because that's exactly.
1: quite a lot of your job.
0: <laughs> exactly. The problem solving, coming up with answers immediately and just, you know, just, being quick at decisions, right? Because everyone's looking for you for advice. So you gotta just be quick at your feet and just do it, right? One Um, thing actually that a lot of people said to me was when I first took over that company years ago,
1: they, I asked a few people, you know, what's kind of, you know, what's one of my enduring qualities? And they said, you'll make a decision quickly. You'll gather the evidence and you'll make a decision quickly. It might not always be right, but nine times out of
0: 10- You'll move on. It's good enough to move us forward. Exactly. And that is an important trait. Yep. And totally. I, I mean, I make mistakes daily and I yeah. own it, right? And that's totally okay. As long as you learn from it, um, come up with solutions so that you don't make it again yeah. and just continue moving ahead, right? Because there's so many things that you can improve on. Exactly. You just can't do everything with the limited resources as a small business owner and just mm. have fun with the process, right? Because it is a long journey. Um, it is a long journey. And I have this little phrase which I call uh,
1: do a little and learn a lot. Yeah. So it's a, it's a series of experiments. You run an experiment and you try it out. Some of them work, most of them don't. You learn from it, you go on to the next one.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I know it's been a great conversation. I wanted to ask you a couple last questions because I know how passionate you are with business. It seems like your family is a huge component of your life at this moment. Yeah. Um, moving forward, I know you probably have 10 to 20 more years. What other components are very strong pillars? Like um, learning what you've learned over the last 40 years, I would say, yeah. um, where what kind of advice would you give people who are either an entrepreneur starting or someone that kind of has some experience and doesn't know where to go afterwards what are you gonna do once you you know say success what does success mean yeah
1: yeah. and
0: and then what are the major pillars outside of family and business
1: okay so for me there's uh and in fact you're looking at your bookshelf now. Um, yeah, one of the pillars for me about when I do stop doing as much work as I do and I'm, yeah, I'm not running my business every day, uh, and let's say that's in 10 years' time. You know, I'll be 66. Hopefully, I'll live until I'm, say, 86. You know, 20 years is a long time to be alive. If you're not doing what you've done for 40 years, what do you do? Half your life again. And To me, a big, a big pillar is lifelong learning. I enjoy the act of reading. I enjoy learning about subjects. I don't enjoy learning about languages, so I don't learn new languages. It's never really excited me. But learning how chess, how to play chess. Yeah, that's interesting because it's a strategy game. I wonder how I I could play chess better. Don't know. So learning about topics that are interesting, like negotiation. I'll probably read about negotiation forever because it's a fascinating topic and it's, it's endless in terms of the lessons you can learn by talking to other people. So I think that's one of the big pillars for me is whatever happens, a lifelong learner. A second one is, I like making things, John. So (laughs) at the weekend in the garden, um, so as a family we'll be like, okay, we've got uh, little animals eating our plants. So Leo's like, I'm not having birds eating our strawberries. So I'm like, okay, Leo, we'll build something. So I, um, I draw out a little plan and uh, we buy some wood and some wire and some nails. And I build a little cage with him and the birds stop eating the strawberries. And he thinks, wow, we built that from nothing. So again, building things, I, I like to build things. So I can imagine in 10, 15 years time, building a kit car. I'm like, I wonder how kit cars work. Or maybe I could buy a kit car and build it and then drive it around because it's fun. And the third one for me is I've got a big, um, if you go back to when I was 16, younger, 14, um, I'm a real uh, kind of audiophile. I'm a hi-fi fan. Always have been. And it stuck with me for like 40, 45 years. So... I find listening to music, uh, high-quality sound uh, music, I, that's a real pleasure. I mean, I was, um, we listen to music probably, I start at, say, 7.30, probably 12 hours a day, I'll be listening to music. Yeah, It's a constant part of my life, finding new music. I've gone back to vinyl, so I like vinyl. So I'm now building my, my, my collection again of vinyl records. Um, I, I love it
0: so yeah I, I won't run out of things to do that's for sure that's amazing i mean being true to yourself right and understanding what really pushes you and makes yeah. you who you are and what you're happy doing right like that's very hard for a lot of people to uncover right but it as is. you mature and as you grow and you make tons of mistakes and you, you learn over these years you kind of realize what's important in life right especially during this pandemic, right? A lot of people have that's a right. lot of time to really reflect on what ultimately is most important in their lives. Who is most important? What is the things that are really important to do with the people that you love, right? Definitely. So. And how you're wired,
1: awesome. John, you know, I think yeah, outside of family, uh, putting that to one side as a kind of a, cause that is the core. Um, we learn as we grow older, how we're wired And I think we learn to accept that. You know, I don't try and become the greatest marketer in the world. It's not me. It's not how I'm wired. I'll find people who are
0: much better. Exactly. And I try not to judge as much because everyone has their own space and they have their own idea of what success is. And I let other people live how they want to live. And if they want to, ask me questions i'm here to support them and give them advice but i'm not going to push stuff at people right so i've learned to kind of grow and evolve myself too um so it was a great discussion mike um let some of the listeners uh, know how they can get a hold of you directly this will be on the show notes as well sure yeah the easiest way is to email me so mike at hiscari.com p-i-s-c-a-r-i.com,
1: P-I-S-C-A-R-I.com. Uh, so i'm always on that uh, always uh, or you can go onto my LinkedIn profile. So just like, type in Mike Lander onto LinkedIn
0: uh, in the UK. You'll probably find me uh, and uh, connect with me there. But uh, yeah, I'd, that'd be great. That's amazing. I mean, we had a great conversation and discussion. Um, I learned a ton. You're a great guy. It was a great referral um, from Mike (laughs) and we had a lot of fun. So ultimately um, that's what life is about, right? Great uh, relationships, connections, and getting to know good people. So thanks a lot for being on our show, Mike. Hopefully you had fun as well. I really enjoyed it, John. I I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's great to talk to a like-minded person. Brilliant amazing so please uh if you want to reach out to mike uh, connect with him everything will be on the show notes and have a great day thanks john
1: thank you for listening to our latest podcast please subscribe to local seo today and tune in to our next episode